joining. Hello, how are you? Hi, good. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm so glad that you were able to join us today, even if we're on different time zones. Oh um, my gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I can, I'll introduce myself and get us started, and then I'll pass it off to you to introduce yourself. Um, so my name is Stephanie, and I'm the Director of Funding and Outreach here at Shake Up the Establishment, and I'm responsible for planning fun things like this. And today we, have, we are going to talk about climate justice and awesome things that Earth Refuge is up to. So I'll pass it over to you to introduce yourself. Amazing. Well, firstly, thank you so much for inviting us to be part of this series. We're really excited. Uh, my name is Yumna, and I'm one half of Earth Refuge, so I'm one of the co-founders. My other co-founder, who also happens to be called Stephanie, is currently in Hong Kong, so it's the middle of the night right now for her. Um, and Earth Refuge is the planet's first legal think tank dedicated to climate migrants. Awesome. Um, that's great. So would you be able to tell us a little bit more about um, your organization's mission and your objectives and, and maybe how you got started as well? Absolutely. So um, ultimately, our goal is to address the legal vacuum that exists with regard to climate migrants. So for anyone who's listening and isn't aware, um, Climate-induced displacement or migration as the result of climate factors, and specifically natural disasters, um, is huge. And despite this fact, there are currently no legal protections, either on an international scale or on a local level, um, to protect these people once they arrive, when they're making the journey and once they arrive at their final destination, be that within their home country or outside of its borders. So that's our ultimate goal. But uh, when we kicked off the project and once we started doing some research, we realized that you can't just tackle the legal bits and pieces without contextualizing them. Um, so we have three projects in total, but I can go into that uh, in a few minutes. In terms of how we started, uh, so obviously both of us went to law school and we met when we were doing our master's. My background or my interest has always been in refugee and immigration law, and that's why I went to law school. And Steph's interest has always been in environmental law. So when the opportunity arose for us to start a project together, we thought, okay, it's got to be something that both of us know a little bit about, but also that we're passionate enough about so that we can sustain it in the long run. Absolutely. That sounds amazing. Yeah, the passion part is so important or else you burn out so quickly for sure. Yeah, um, I guess before we get into some of the really cool projects that, that you all are up to, um, maybe for those who are unfamiliar with the concept of what are climate refugees or kind of what are the issues on a broad scale of what you're trying to tackle. Sure. So um, generally speaking, a climate migrant is someone who has to flee their home, uh, their, their base, as a result of a natural disaster. But their position is usually exacerbated by socioeconomic or cultural conditions. So um, these disasters and the need to move um, usually hits indigenous uh, black uh, women and children as like societal groups first and worst. Um, and it's difficult to pinpoint who a climate migrant is because of the global nature of the problem and the way it manifests itself 
in every location. So it comes in many shapes and forms um, because of different locations, as I said, but also different disasters and contexts. So the situation isn't going to be the same for a family fleeing wildfires in California as it is going to be for um, a Rohingya refugee family fleeing landslides in Bangladesh or an Australian family fleeing floods, so on and so forth. Um, but there is a difference between a refugee and a climate migrant or a climate refugee. So there's currently no legal definition for any of these people that I've just mentioned. Of course, you hear them being called climate migrants, climate refugees, um, people who have been induced by climate disasters. Um, I think it's really crucial to point out that all of these names and labels have really valid justifications behind them. But there's also a slight worry in using the term climate refugee, because legally speaking, uh, a refugee is defined by the Refugee Convention of 1951. There are lots of little bits and pieces that categorize someone as a refugee, but I think the two main takeaways are to be a refugee, you need to be outside your nation of origin. You need to be fleeing uh, in a country that is not your own. So you're outside a border. And um, you need to be fleeing persecution, either by the state or a private body that the state can't protect you from. So it's really hard to pin climate migrants as climate refugees because usually they're within internal borders. Strike one and strike two is the fact that it's really hard to paint natural disasters or climate factors as persecution. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a, that's a little intro. Yeah, thanks for, yeah, that's definitely a definition that I wasn't aware of um, before as well. So thanks for clarifying clarifying that for all of us. Um, I guess to, to continue on that point, I was wondering if, if that definition makes it more difficult to tackle the problem um, in terms of climate migrants aren't able to be under the status of refugee. Absolutely, there are difficulties when it comes to it, but we as a think tank sort of seized the opportunity. We saw the problem in that approach in a sort of more general international approach. And so that's why our approach is very regional or even local. Um, so we actually think that there would be more capacity to help more people and more quickly if we went local. So by that, I mean figuring out legal solutions or protections that might already exist um, for people depending on where exactly they are coming from. Um, as opposed to trying to find an umbrella term that encompasses all of these groups of people who are technically facing different problems, even though they all stem from the same issue and end up in the same way. So, um, yeah, it's a challenge, but I think we turned it into, I wouldn't say an opportunity, but our ammunition for our mission so yeah absolutely yeah i think it's it's definitely a really good point um to listen to individual stories rather than taking the problem and and kind of trying to fit a one-size-fits-all solution so i think that's really great that, that that's the approach you're all taking um yeah so i was wondering if you could uh begin to talk about some of the the awesome projects that you're you're all involved in in terms of maybe the legal toolkits and then maybe even the, the faces project which sounds really awesome absolutely so um this is my favorite part because <laughs> i get to big up the organization but also the amazing team that's now behind it yeah 
Um, so as I said, our ultimate goal is to address the legal vacuum, but we really want to dispel this myth of lawyers being the gatekeepers of justice. So we really want our solutions to be accessible um, and customized. So all of this is to say, it translates into our three projects. So our first project and perhaps our most general and maybe our most um, accessible or popular one, actually I wouldn't say it's the most popular, but it's a pretty accessible one, it's the archive. So we realized when we were researching this issue that like people are speaking about the climate crisis and people are speaking about the so-called refugee crisis, but very few people are speaking about the intersection, which is climate migration. Which is bizarre because in 2019, people were three times more likely to be fleeing climate factors than they were war or persecution, which is wild in itself. So that's one issue. People weren't speaking about it enough, in our opinion. And the second thing was that in lay circles, when people were speaking about it, there was a little bit of stigma. So, you know, I think there's this misconception that someone facing climate induced displacement lives on a small developing island state in the Southern hemisphere. No one really thinks of it in terms of quote unquote, first world communities. Um, so this is how our archive was born. We wanted to encourage the dialogue around this issue to influence popular thought and encourage people to start speaking about it, but also um, to make sure that we're an educational resource so that when people are speaking about it, they're referring to the right facts and even opinions. So that's our archive. We accept ad hoc submissions from all sorts of people. So students, lawyers, activists, scientists, journalists. Um, but we also have a team of brilliant archivists who write for us on a regular basis. And some of the content is more complex, so academic papers. But the majority is very accessible in the format of articles, think pieces, book reviews, uh, and even webinars. So that's the archive. Our second project is FACES. Uh, and I think it really touches on things we were speaking about earlier. Mm -hmm. So we really, really do not want to be an organization that yells about a problem without experiencing it ourselves. Um, and especially during the pandemic when we're not on the ground directly with the impacted communities. So this is how FACES was born. It's our testimonials tab. And what we do is we have a group of brilliant correspondents who network, shoot out emails and get in contact with three groups of people and interview them. So the three groups are obviously impacted communities and uh, their allies or people we've dubbed their allies on the ground. So wildfire fighters, activists, sailors, and then the third group is experts or professionals in the field. So lawyers, professors, policymakers, mayors, community leaders, so on and so forth. Um, and so through these interviews, the sort of direction they take is, we obviously ask what is happening in a particular region. So they've been conducted people across the globe. And we also ask what they think the best solution would be for the specific problem that they're outlining. And in this way, we're humanizing the problem for our viewers and our audience. So you don't just come to our platform and become overwhelmed with really depressing statistics and a scary problem. You see the faces of the people who are actually affected and trying to fix it. 
but also we are then able to try and frame our legal solutions and customize them to the needs and solutions outlined by the people who know best. So that's FACES. Um, and our final project, which is the biggest one, is obviously our legal toolkits. So as I mentioned before, we really want to take a local approach or a regional approach to this massive issue uh, because it makes it easier to approach it, but also we think at the end of the day, it's likely to be a more beneficial outcome. So uh, our project right now is a research project. We have a bunch of uh, law students and young lawyers reinterpreting case law, which already exists, but also conventions that already exist. And they're trying to reinterpret them or reanalyze them to see if we can establish standing for various communities across the earth. So the difficulty in this is that there are so many cases and none of them directly relate to climate migration. So what we're doing is looking at all the related little satellite spheres, for example, environmental racism, um, the impacts on indigenous communities, food security, or rather insecurity, um, the role of urban planning, refugee and immigration law, environmental law, the right to a healthy environment, you name it. So we're reinterpreting what already exists and then we're gonna compile it into legal toolkits so impacted communities can come to our platform, look up their location or their disaster and figure out whether or not they have standing before the courts or another institution in their region for protection or support. But on the flip side, we're also going to compose practice guides for um, legal professionals because there isn't a lack of legal professionals who want to represent these groups, but there's just no body of information or no precedent for them to turn to. So what we're doing is providing that for them, or that's what we hope to do. So that's our big project. Wow, that sounds amazing. Yeah, specifically the, the FACES project. I think that's such a unique um, project that I definitely have not seen elsewhere. And I think it gives such a, um, such a platform for those who are affected by the problem to be able to share their own stories as well. Absolutely. So really, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that sounds really awesome. Um, I guess uh, my next question as we're coming, coming to the end of this, uh, what's it like working with a team that's located across the globe? Um, definitely, I'm sure time zones is a big one, um, but just curious um, how, how that works. It is wild, <laughs> in all honesty. Um, it's hard, I think, in terms of logistics, just finding a time that suits everyone and every team we have, so correspondents, archivists, uh, legal researchers, and now current affairs reporters as well, I forgot to mention. Um, they are scattered across the globe. So that's the bit that's harder to coordinate. But in terms of substance, it's really rewarding because we get to represent like who we want to help, right? Like if you look at our website and you look at our team, <laughs> we're really diverse and everyone in terms, not just in terms of, you know, ethnicity or race, but in terms of background and expertise um, we have a pretty broad reach so I have personally learned so much from every single individual on our team and I think I can say the same for Steph and everyone else um, and it really feels like the solutions we're coming up with or the content we're creating is richer for it so it's I mean nothing good comes easy right so it's it's a really really small price to pay. <laughs> 
Absolutely. Yeah. I know myself as well, even um, within our team, which is um, we're based in what is currently known as Canada. So even I learned so much across um, this region. So I'm sure it's just an absolute wealth of knowledge for you and your team. Um, as we're ending off, I, I see a comment from someone who's watching, but also my own personal question. How can folks support your own work and, and uh, get involved or amplify any current initiatives that you're working on? There are so many ways. <laughs> there are so many ways. I'm really glad that you asked. Yeah. Um, so you can always write for us as an archivist. Um, if you go to our website, if you head to our website and click on the Get Involved tab, um, there's a little explanation of how you can apply to be an archivist, a correspondent, or a legal researcher. Um, if you're an artist, we'd be interested in hearing from you in terms of like graphics. Uh, imagery is so important in this field. Um, if you yourself don't want to become a correspondent, but you know any communities that are particularly impacted, so indigenous communities, uh, black, black communities, um, women, victims of human trafficking, so on and so forth, or if you know a community that feels that it might be at risk of this potentially becoming a problem for them, uh, please feel free to shoot us an email and let us know and put us into contact with them. We would love to amplify their testimonies. And um, if you have any questions or if you have an idea of a role that you would like to take that we don't necessarily you know, cater for right now, get in touch. We're always happy to have a conversation and we're really quick to respond as well. Awesome. Well, it's uh, if there aren't any other amazing projects, I'm sure... Um you'd like to, to amplify anything else on your end that you want to share? I think what I'd say is that uh, we've taken on a pretty big challenge and we know that it's pretty ambitious, but what has helped us so much is taking a solutions-based approach. So I firmly believe that every single problem, no matter how big, has a solution or multiple solutions that you sort of are able to chip away at the problem at bit by bit. Um, and so I'd say be concerned, but maybe don't let yourself feel too overwhelmed. And whatever your discipline is, even if it isn't in something that's sort of writing or legal or scientific even, there are so many ways that you can get involved. And if you tell me what your background is and what your like ideal career path is or what you do, I bet I can find a way to link it back to climate-induced displacement. So there are plenty of ways to get involved and tackle this. Absolutely. That's a common theme we've been hearing about all this week is uh, we need everyone on board for this um, to to take these solutions and actions, not just people who are specifically um, sustainability professionals. That's a really great point to emphasize. Well, it has been absolutely amazing talking to you. I know personally within the last 20 minutes, I've learned so much. Um, so I appreciate you joining us today. Um, yeah, thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much for having me and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, definitely check out Earth, Re Earth Refuge on their Instagram. They've got a great uh, set of resources as well as their website. So thanks everyone for tuning in and have a great rest of your Earth Week. Thank right. you. Take care.